Welcome to episode 116 of the McSauce Comic Book Podcast. My name is Paul McGinty. With me, as always, are Ian Sharpley. Hello. And Matt Cassell. Hey, Ian. How are you? Fantastic. You sounded really good. You sounded really good with that hello. He's fantastic. Is that like a, like a, a hint? Is that like an omen of things to come in this episode, Paul? Tell us. It's more of an ironic omen of things to come. Okay. It's Tuesday night, August 11th. And tonight we're going to talk about our post-game for Steel City Comic Con this past weekend. And we're also going to break down Fox's Fantastic Four. It's not doing too hot in the theaters. Rotten Tomatoes is beating it up a little bit. But we're going to give you the straight dope as to what this movie is really about. We're going to talk about the good stuff. We had a private screening. <laughs> oh, proof. Did we ever, and we have proof of that. Did we ever? If you check our Twitter page, there's proof. There's photographic evidence of our private screening, our McSauce only. The funnier screening. picture, Paul had to go down close to the screen to take the picture of the whole theater and all three people that were sitting in the audience. But the funnier picture is Matt's picture of Paul taking the picture. <laughs> Yeah. So did we'll I have send to, that to you? I don't think you did, but I'll, by the time that you hear this... We'll get it up on the site. So we had a pretty entertaining weekend. Steel City Comic Con. Right in our back backyard. <laughs> back door. Oops. Ew. Gross. <laughs> right in our backyard. We went to see Fantastic Four. But first, let's do a little housekeeping with Ian the Sauce Sharply. If you're listening to this, then you, you might have come across us from a few different ways. If this is your first time checking out the McSauce Comic Book Podcast, we're not just a podcast. We are also a webcomic. It might hurt a little bit, but it'll be worth it. Like the back door? Is that what? I was actually referencing the front door, but oh, sure. Okay, yeah. We don't limit ourselves to just podcasting. Although we're great at it, we also have a webcomic. We review the comic books that we know and love so dearly. And you can find all this stuff on mixsauce.com. It's the hub for all of your mixsauce goodness. You can go to the Facebook page if you came across us at Steel City Con. You know, you know that we're big Facebook people. We like to get our likes up. So go to the Facebook page, Facebook forward slash McSauce, and you can find us there. You can follow along with all of the different conversations that we have there. You can talk to us and get in touch with us. If you have ideas for the podcast, if you just want to comment on some of our strips, you can find us there. The podcast, a few different ways you can check that out. Stitcher is a good way to download the, I think it's the six most recent episodes. iTunes has about 50 to 60 episodes. And if you go to mixsaucepodcast.libsyn.com, then you can find all of the old school and original episodes there. So... Check out all those places to uh, to see all your McSauce podcast needs and the uh, the strips. We were at Steel City Con in beautiful, 
gorgeous Monroeville, Pennsylvania this weekend. We had a good time. We met a bunch of fun people, a lot of happy con goers over the weekend. Um, our good friend Daniel Doing from Doing Cosplay Productions was there. He bought a t-shirt. He hung out with us. We met him at uh, Pittsburgh Comic Con last year, so it was nice to catch up with a fellow uh, comic book fan, big Green Lantern guy, uh, Daniel Doing. We also uh, got to talk to Lee from Gearbox Union, who we are currently in a podcast battle. Lee and his poor, unfortunate interns who were forced to do Chris, interviews. Chris Willis. Chris Willis. And Afton. Don't know his last name. Mm -hmm. He had a Bebop hat. Only Bebop hat I've ever seen. Not Cowboy Bebop, but... TMNT. The Bebop. The Bebop. Bebop. The one and only. If you thought I meant Cowboy Bebop, stop listening. <laughs> so leave from the Gearbox Union. Check them out at gearboxunion.com. They have a podcast. They have videos. They took a... How should I say it? it, it was oh, it unfortunate? Shit, I forgot about that. Was it unfortunate or hilarious video interview with us? A little bit of both. Yeah. I'd probably meet in the middle. I don't know what happened. I walked in on the in the middle of essentially how do you poop? Not just how do you poop, but how do you clean up afterwards? So, if you want to hear that, go to gearboxunion.com. And I'll tell you what, you know, huge huge props to those guys for going around and asking strangers how they wipe. Asking us is one thing. We know them. But going around and getting a poll at Steel City Con about how you take care of business. Yeah. It was... Lee DePiro, you're more man than I. Is very, Cheers to you, sir. It's very strange, but please go and check out GearboxUnion.com and look for our video interview about the ins and outs of wiping. <laughs> and the back and forths of wiping. You'll be surprised to hear no one here tonight recording, but there is a nice surprise about some unorthodox bathroom <laughs> etiquette from one of the McSauce crew. Holy shit. You're not you're not kidding. I mean like eye opening stuff. Right, right. Like, I mean you really get to you don't know a person until you hear about how they wipe. <laughs> well, especially if it's so fucking strange. Super weird. Like yeah. some of the stuff we heard, like most of the, most of the time it's pretty standard. Yeah, I wipe my ass just like everyone else wipes their ass. But then you hear... Well, wait, when do you normally hear that? <laughs> ne uh, absolutely never. Never. Nobody talks about this. But you assume it's all done the same until someone throws you a curveball. Yeah. So, if you want to find that out, again, GearboxUnion.com. We also got to hang out with uh, Gina and Becca from the 501st Legion, the Star Wars cosplay. Um, I guess they're, they're local here, but they go th all throughout. I feel like they're Western Pennsylvania's licensed Lucasfilm cosplay group for Star Wars. I'm pretty sure they have their own 
website that you can buy the official Stormtrooper costume. You know, you can buy the Darth Vader costume. But if if you're not if you're part of the 501st, you are sanctioned by Lucasfilm. If not, then you're some crazy rogue doing this stuff all on your own. But these guys are legit. So legit that they had essentially R2-D2 and C-3PO. Matt, oh. you saw them. You saw 3PO up close. I only saw R2. But if some, the R2-D2 in front of our table, if someone said this is the one that, you know, Luke found in the Dune Sea, I'd be like, oh, fuck yeah. So, of course it is. I mean, it's so realistic. Works, you know, the head turns, the lights go, makes the sound effects. He looks like he could clock up to 30 miles an hour the way he was scooting around the con. 501st is legit. But I didn't see the 3P up close. Was it as good up close as it looked in the pictures? Yeah, um, <clears throat> pretty much. It. So... If you've ever seen behind-the-scenes stuff for Star Wars, you know that that's basically a plastic suit. It's not really metal, and you can hear the plastic kind of moving against itself. Same thing in real life. Um, I even, when I posed for a picture with C-3PO, I put my hand on his shoulder, because I figured you weren't allowed to do that, so I kind of wanted to bend the rules a little bit. <laughs> well, you wouldn't be allowed to do that with Anthony Daniels in right, the suit. Right, But 501st isn't there not such Nazis about it. Right, so I, I put my hand on him and I could feel like the body heat through Oh, really? Through the, the plastic. Yeah, but I mean, it looked amazing. That's like, great. Seeing C-3PO and R2-D2 right there, it felt like they came straight out of the movies. It was pretty awesome. They had some pretty legitimate looking Wookiees. Yeah, they had a Chewbacca that, that looked really real. Um, you know, he was like, what, eight feet tall? He was so tall, I didn't believe he was that tall. I wanted to put on A New Hope and watch the scene after the detention block where Chewbacca and Carrie Fisher are walking together through the corridor to Chewbacca get a sense of scale. Land. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, Gina and Becca from the 501st. Good time talking to them. They came by. They bought about six or seven pins from us. Thank you for that. So thank you very much. Uh, they also gave us a great idea for a pin in the future because- Ah, uh, that, look for that one. We're not gonna tell you what it is, but we should have it at the next convention. We will, and uh, go support them at 501st.com. Is it really 501st? 501st.com. 501st, I mean, that's still first, but you know, that. Regardless, we will have all the Ain't links. Ain't that Weird Al? It is Weird Al. We'll have all the links to all the great people that we met on our site or on our Facebook page. So, thank you to everybody, and thank you to Steel City Con for having us. And uh, we're not done conventioning ing yet. We have WV PopCon on Saturday and Sunday, August 22nd and 23rd, down in Morgantown, West Virginia. If you missed us in Monroeville, come down to Morgantown and hang out with us down there. So, that's coming up. Are we doing anything next Wednesday? And next Wednesday, we are doing the 
Geekman's Night at the Ballpark. It's the Star Wars themed Pittsburgh Pirates vs. Diamondbacks game. If you'd like to stop down, we're having a tailgate. We're having some Star Wars influenced games. Stop down. Um, tickets for the tailgate are $20. You can stop down and have some food provided by Spitfires. If you go to Spitfires.com, you can check Spitfires out Spitfires with, with a, a Z. Z. You can check out their menu. They do have that posted. They also have a Facebook page, which they update constantly. That Cuban that I had when we were down there was fantastic. I could have had two, but that would have been too much food. Our good friend Jeremy is uh, putting this together and was kind enough to invite us in on this because he knows that we're big Star Wars fans. So if you are in the Pittsburgh area for August 19th, stop down and check out all the tailgating Star Wars fun that we're going to have down there. We also have details on our Facebook page. Uh, I believe that, let me check out the lot that we're going to be in. You guys love that Facebook page. Well, that's the best way to, you know, connect with the fans and talk to them. I'll have it listed on the page. We do have the lot that we're going to have the tailgate at so i'll post that up later on today so by the time you hear this it'll be all available so other than steel city con this weekend we went out saturday night and we saw fantastic four it had already been out for a day right came out Wednesday at midnight, you can see it. I can't imagine there Something were like that. Yeah, many people. At maybe those there were shows. a few. Maybe there were a few Thursday shows. You, they've been doing that weirdly, where the movie is set to open on the Friday, but then they'll still have showings like Thursday evening. That's how I saw uh, Godzilla um, on a Thursday night, or maybe it was a Wednesday. I don't know. Whatever day it was, last last summer. So we went out Saturday night to see Fantastic Four. Nine o'clock show, prime time, Saturday night showing for first weekend for brand new movie. And the three of us walk into the theater 15 minutes before showtime, 8.45, we walk in into the theater and there are one person Sitting in there. One lonely girl well, sitting wait, wait, there. Wait, wait. We were actually the first. She came in after us. Really? Oh, did she? I thought she was sitting there. Because no, when I walked was, in... She was there already. I was in there before her. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, we okay. went to the bathroom. Or maybe we were just... Matt was, was in there first. motoring to his seat because he was I got giddy. The, the front row. He's been excited for this movie since they announced Michael B. Jordan as Johnny Storm. I got the front row, center seat, um, and I think that girl was pissed because she was probably like, Jesus Christ, I'm the second one in here, and I have to be off to the left. I picked this movie well, particular. She didn't, have, she didn't have to be because there were about 20 rows behind us Yeah, that she could have sat Had the center seat, but I guess having that front row is more enjoyable. Is, that your, is, nice. is that your go-to, the front row? Well, it is because you have... You have 
um, nobody in front of you, I don't know, like I, turning their cell phone on in the middle of the theater or, or the middle of the movie. Or um, you also have the, the bar to put your rest your legs on. I got to remember to bring like a blanket or something to kind of lay over top of it to give it a little cushion. I didn't realize that resting your legs on the bar was such a big thing. I've it heard about this thing. lately and I don't know. I'm more of a I'm more of a top row kind of person. Top two rows. Ah, so you can make out. See, that's funny. Because I'm more of a middle row person. I appreciate the bar. I've been coming around to the bar in the front row a little more often lately. But I like being in the middle of the screen. Down at the bar. You gotta look up a little bit. Up in the back row where you get a blowjob. You gotta look down a little bit. Being in the middle of the theater. Blowjob row. <laughs> <laughs> Being in the middle of, of, of the theater, even though you don't have the bar in front of you, you have people looking at your cell phone behind you. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like that's my optimum it's a sweet spot. movie-going experience. Ironically, when I saw Vacation a couple weeks ago, I was in Blowjob Row, mm. and the girl in front of me was one in front of Blowjob Row. She was, row. Set to she was in Get Her Head Kicked with the Back of My Shoe Row. Uh so we show up, and ironically, I know we talked about how empty the theater was, but it felt like everybody was jockeying for those front couple seats because we were sitting there, eventually maybe maybe 10 more people, is that fair? 10 more people came in, and with an entire empty theater to their, you know, their choice. They could have any choice of any seat, but they sat in the row directly behind us. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? I know how empty this theater is, motherfucker. You're gonna sit right fucking. They could have said you can't even anywhere. bump a row back. Yeah, and it would have been. It one was a thing. spite sitting. It would have been one thing if all you did was hear him, but my seat was moving. You know, it was getting kicked and shit. Unnecessary. Yeah, there was some. There was some grabby. I can't get out of my seat without pulling yeah. the back of the seat in front of me for right. support. There was a little chatter, too. I'm going to be honest. There was a little talky that came in. There was a little little bit of yapping. I was like, is this a Guardians situation we have on our the hands? The only chatter I heard was coming from my left <gasps> and Matt Cassell. Cause was it, I told left. you so? Yeah. <laughs> No, it, it wasn't, but I feel like young Matt Cassell checked out pretty early through a lot of the film. I could I could feel his disinterest. <laughs> I, could, I could just feel it beside me. But I don't think I felt a whole lot of interest from Ian Sharpley on the other side of me. You're very sensitive to the interest level of your uh, podcast partners here. Well, let, let's clear the air. Ian, were you disinterested? I think that Fantastic Four was an enjoyable movie up until they skip one year later. The first part of the film is pretty... It, it's honestly enjoyable. I was in whenever they're... The kid, the whole dynamic between Reed and Ben as children and kind of building that relationship, that was interesting. When they grow up to be teenagers, go to the Baxter building, start working on this project, 
That was interesting. When they finally get it to work and they send the monkey to the other dimension, I was in there. And when they... The terribly CG'd monkey. Yes. And when they make their decision also to go to this other dimension, I, I was in all the way... And, and even when they come back and things have gone horribly wrong and they're, they're changed... And it's almost like a horror movie where Reed wakes up and he hears his friend crying out for him and he looks over and he sees Johnny on fire. That was kind of that was kind of scary. That was disturbing looking. And I was in at that point too. But then when they skip ahead a year later, that's when it all goes downhill for so me. So basically what happens, you get this whole backstory of where Reed comes from how he gets to the Baxter building. He helps develop a way to um, teleport into Planet Zero. They come back all fucked up. You see that they're all screwed up when they get back, and then it's, oh, time jump. One year later. So Johnny, Sue, they all, they're all in full control of their powers. Ben's working for the government, taking out Al-Qaeda as the thing, and reads the recluse living off by himself trying to fight the good fight and find out how to fix his friends and get back to get back to the quote unquote negative zone in order to reverse the process of everything that's happened to them and because he blames himself for and and apparently they blame him too for you know taking it upon themselves to go to planet zero did any of you take away that it was entirely Reed's idea and he was the one pushing? Because I didn't get that from the film. It didn't feel like he was making a point like, we should fucking do this. It felt more like Victor Von Doom. Well, that was his idea it, and his push. It was, because through everything we know for the first from the first half of the movie about Reed, who is, this is the Reed Richards story. Everyone else is background noise like you know you get a little bit of something from this person then this person but it's essentially the Reed Richards story and through the whole time we get he is straight laced nerdy scientist and when you get to the scene where Doom gives a great speech about you don't know who built the shuttle that took Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin to the to the moon you just know they were the first people to walk there so Doom saying, well, we should be those people. We're the ones that made this contraption. We need to be the ones that are there. And Reed, drunk, and they've all been drinking at this point. Like, they're all drunk. Not like fall off their seat, stumbling drunk, because we didn't want the PG-13 rating. But they're drunk at this point, and Reed's like, yeah, let's go. So through that whole, I don't know where you heard that it was Reed's idea, but it was clearly... I heard it from the characters on the screen because no. they're blaming him. Oh, Reed, this is all your fault. Oh, it's all my fault. Well, no, this is fucking Doom's fault. Well, yeah, what it, what it really was, it was Doom being the being the more socially sly of the group, knowing that he could push Johnny and Reed into getting into this thing and trying it out. Wouldn't it be more interesting if it was if it was Reed? that was the one who gave that speech earlier sue says to reed 
I know you. You want to be famous. And you don't get that from his character at all, but that would be a nice twist, and it would make it his fault, and it would make, the just like it's Reed's fault in the, I don't know, comic book version of the Fantastic Four, he's the one pushing for the space exploration, and it is his fault that he turned his friends and family members into fucking monsters. Like... That's what they should have done with this movie. It would have made it more interesting. Yeah, I, I, I'd have liked that too. And this goes and along those same lines. That the horrible, horrible climax of, of the movie. There's a brief face-off between Reed and Doom, and Doom was like, "You Doom's like, you always talk down to me. You always treat me. You're always so shit. smug. You're always so smug." But Reed's never smug. Mm-mm. He's always the nicest guy and maybe it's something that got left on the cutting room floor but I feel like if there would have been more scenes through the first half of the movie where Victor is trying to cut corners and he's just trying to get this thing done and trying to get over there and Reed has to take charge and be the heavy and be kind of unlikable in a couple moments and you know tell Doom this is how it is and be a little arrogant. That would have gone a long way to making that line from Doom about him being smug actually hit home. Actually mean something. And it would have given more depth to Reed's character, who is just, you know, like, straight up sweetie good guy from the very beginning. That was an interesting thing that you said about maybe it got left on the cutting room floor. Because I've never seen a movie... Uh, Honestly, like ever, it felt so disjointed and Frankenstein together. And yes, I know that there were issues with editing, and maybe that's kind of like making me a little more sensitive to this. But um, it there were at least three specific scenes that were in the movie trailer that weren't in the final film. I've seen movie trailers where the parts don't make it into the film but never so much usually it's just one little thing or it's like some like a part of a scene uh exists in the movie and you're like oh that's where that part from the trailer would have gone but they just took that one little bit out but in this case entire scenes were missing that that couldn't have fit in anywhere like parts from the trailer couldn't have fit in anywhere into the movie that we saw scenes were missing and that's probably why I felt so disjointed you know our, our friend Josh Trank took to Twitter um, a, a month or I'm sorry a day before the movie came out and he basically said the movie that you was guys was that Thursday? I thought it was the day before the movie came out am I wrong? it could have been I don't remember it come. I just remember before we went to see it on Saturday night us reading Maybe about it was Friday. so it might have been Friday but it was certainly in the face of negative press like the movie was getting going through the, the shit beat the, out of it right it was going through the um, the ringer with reviews I think the embargo was lifted earlier in the week I think the first one was maybe Monday or something like that last Monday um, and by the time his tweet came out everyone had reviewed it and nobody was reviewing it positively because you can't. And he said something to the effect of the movie that, you know, that you guys see, that's not my vision. Uh, you know, I don't... He said he had a 
fantastic vision. He had a fantastic I think he vision. said that the the version of the movie that I had would have received better, more favorable reviews than what this movie is. I believe that because this was really bad. I can't imagine it being worse than it was. Uh, because there were things that were working, but there was so much that wasn't working, particularly with the second half. And, and that's the half that felt chopped up and kind of weirdly put together. Like the first half felt cohesive. I was interested. Um, I felt like it, it was such a, a, a nice change of pace compared to a typical Marvel movie. You know, Avengers, Ant-Man, um, Iron Man 3, Guardians. Oh. It, it, it just had a completely different vibe, and I welcomed it with open arms. I, I was like, this is what the, tr the first trailer felt like. It, it's feeling really good to me. I, I was astounded how much I liked Miles Teller. I thought he was... When I heard about the casting, I thought that he was so miscast. And granted, he's the main character in the movie, and we see more of him than any other character, but he is the best character in the movie. He's the, the best, probably the best actor of the bunch. He was just the most likable um, and just overall believable. There was a humanity to him that, and even in the comics, doesn't come through. I really liked what he brought to the character. Uh, what I had a hard time uh, rationalizing in my head was that he was supposed to be an 18 or 19 year old. You know, that's, he's not, he's like 30 or more. Um, I just, I couldn't. In fairness, he's probably like 24, 25. In real life? Yeah, I would say. Okay, he did not seem that young to me. Uh, 18, and he seems well over 24 or 25 to me. 28. Um, oh, all right. Kamara doesn't feel... I think she's in her 30s. I don't know if she was meant to, to be as young as he was. I don't think that was ever clear. I don't think we've got an age really on Ben or on uh, Johnny Storm either. I don't know who's supposed to be the older between the two because one's adopted and one's not... But, um, you know, Ben Grimm is obviously the same age. And, and I just, those weren't 18-year-olds. They weren't, you know. The, the teenagers, quote-unquote teenagers in Saved by the Bell, were younger than, than these characters. Um, and uh, so I, I was surprised how much I liked him. And frankly, I was surprised how much I kind of liked all of them, to be honest. And that was going in, I think... The, the first strike this movie had that I had against it was that uh, Josh Trank I had heard say I'm not paying attention to the comics he told the, the actors not to pay attention and I thought so you're shitting on the source material you have the privilege of making this movie about a long standing comic book and, and you're going to pretend like it's irrelevant to you I don't think you're the guy for the job so I was really upset with that and I hated the casting I felt like everyone was miscast I hated that uh, that Johnny Storm uh, was, black. was black because as you know I don't like when she black people that's not true I saw Jurassic World with a theater full of them and we loved it Uh, brilliant. It was so fun. That was one of the most fun times I ever had in a movie. Not kidding. It you was, and your people. 
by the end of it, I felt like I was part of the part of the group. He was you know? fist bumping. Well, Matt's got the handshakes down, Pat. So. He does. We we saw that full effect at Still City Con. Maybe that's why you're sick. They could, yeah. Right. Oh, that Daniel well, kid. The way he shook my hand. A little too many novelty mind. handshakes. All right. So anyway, Matt, the king of novelty handshakes. Well, he is. I feel like one time I'm going to shake his hand, and it's going to be a fake hand. Is it's just going to come off? No one's better. Speaking, no one's better at the novelty handshake. Speaking of novelty handshakes, I, I want to uh, give it up to the to the guy that was dressed as the Joker at the at the con, and and he was so it, he was in character and he was actually kind of funny, and he did the voice and everything. At first, I was like, because Paul and I have an opinion on cosplayers that don't break character when you interact with them. We just think, dork, <laughs> right? Is that kind of like it's exhausting like it's awkward to me right because you have to play along to a degree handle it but this joker came up to us and he's not breaking character and we asked him to like our facebook page which he did uh i don't know what his name is ian if you want to find his name we'll give him a little plug but he was reaching in his in his pocket and he needed a free hand so he asked one of us to hold something for him and he and he dropped. It was your hand, I believe. He drops the chattering teeth. No, it was, no, Ian it was got Ian's the chattering hand. teeth. And, and then, I got the joy buzz. Right, and then as he after he talked to us a little bit, he's like, "Oh, hey," and and he asked for your name. And he shook your hand. And he gave you the joy buzz. Did you see it coming, or no? You didn't, because I saw it and I saw it about to happen, and I was so excited because I didn't think you saw it, and I just and we all got a kick out of it. It was really funny, but um, you know I've seen jokers that were really good at conventions but i've never experienced a joker like this guy uh it, it was a really really well done uh cosplay but anyway back to the movie i hated the casting and then i see it on screen and i liked it i liked it all i thought it was all very well done and effective um i think the flaws in the movie come down to the writing i think it was well, like I said, the second half felt like a weird, like, you know, feel- scotch taped together, uh, just just Frankenstein of a movie. It, it felt like they all gave up in that second half. It like was the a tale of was, two movies. Right. Like, it felt like a, there was a different writer mm-hmm. on the second yeah, half Yeah, it really did. Movie. The writing was so juvenile and so... Um, juvenile? Juvenile. Sorry. And, and so... Um, cliched with lines like oh he's stronger than than any of us and then Reed Richards goes but he's not stronger than all of us or the shit at the end with we need a name what are we gonna call ourselves oh it's just awful like and and it was like it was filled with with, it, it felt like like it reminded me of when I played with action figures. The dialogue that I had for my characters was about that shitty. I haven't visually cringed at a movie since Attack of the Clones. And overall, Attack of the Clones is probably a better movie. I'd and say that's how bad it definitely is a better this movie. One was. And it's all attributed to the second half of Fantastic Four. Which just it goes downhill so fast. It, you know, it's not even the second half. It's it's almost like the the 
the Final third, third act of the but, big fight on but even Planet still Zero. It is as awful as Doctor Doom was represented in that movie the, the best scene in the movie had Doctor Doom featured and it was where we first see him do bad things when he wakes up in the in the lab and he gets out of the out of the bed or whatever that is off the, the table. initial scene where he sits up in the bed Despite his silly outfit, in that moment, yeah, he looked really fucking scary. He did, and, and I liked that because, Ian, you talked about it before. You were referring to the scene where um, they first kind of discover all their powers, how it felt kind of like a horror movie. I thought the scene with Doctor Doom especially felt like a horror movie. When he gets up and, and he realizes the power that he has and he has no use for the world... No, no use for regular Earth. He's more interested in Planet Zero, in living in a rock. I think it would be boring, honestly. Shouldn't they have made Planet Zero a little more exciting? You that, think? And like, when they teleport there, is it weird that they teleport to the same exact spot every single time? Well, they how lucky for them. They teleport back to the lab on Earth every time. So I guess so it's maybe the, that is a setting. In the teleportation device. Could be. Um, but anyway, uh, when Doctor Doom gets up and walks through the lab and he starts killing people with, uh, with powers that are not explained or, or rationalized in any way, but his powers essentially is blowing up heads. Which and is a super cool power. It was, well, he has telekinesis. Okay, telekinesis. So what To is manipulate the environment, and if that means manipulating... Head explosions. That's what That's he part did. Of it. He was manipulating head explosions. As but it seems like he can just move shit and throw yeah, stuff yeah. around, cover people but in they dirt should, later on. They, they should have explained it a little bit better than us guessing. There's a lot about this movie that relies on the audience knowing a little bit about... But that's the same thing with the cartoon Doctor Doom. I mean, what what are his powers? Kind of whatever he wants, right? He's like a evil... Like, he has sorcery powers as well as technology. Right. Define, define that. You can't, because it's whatever he wants. I guess so, but in the comics and the cartoon, as you referred to it, it's explained. They explain that he has a connection with hell as well as some kind of scientific. Because so isn't his mother in, in, the, in hell and trying... I know that he had a, a strong connection with his mother, but I don't remember her being in hell. In the one hour yeah. and 40 minutes... Where do you have time to dip into Victor Von Doom's mother being in hell? And that's well, you, where he well, gets this stuff. Well, you don't, but you can explain his powers right. a little so, bit better than just random so telekinesis. The, but in the comics, he's because how genius, does it? Uh, he's a genius, and he has random powers. He can pretty much do whatever he feels like. Right. So the powers that he was displaying in the movie, fine, because that's how he is all the time. He can pretty and that's much not do whatever. The he wants. biggest problem with this film, but I think that the crutch of well you know some of these relationships in this film people know this just like Victor Von Doom being a little bit jealous about Sue and Reed's relationship it was like a little bit of a teeny tiny part of a scene oh, I think that should have been played up a little the more the relationship between all the characters was totally un underutilized I mean you get this, yeah. you get the barest of bones as to how anyone's connected or Sue, how anyone feels about anything Sue besides and ben never speak to each other. Reed and Ben, 
have a really good relationship, mm-hmm. but that's because you spent time with them as usually, kids. Usually, Everybody else, who right. fucking knows? It's not usually a good idea to do an origin story in under two hours, you know, because there's a lot of character development that has to happen. There's a there's a lot of they could have added so much shit in that in the first good half of the movie yeah. to at least get it around the two hours. I don't know why they I, didn't. This is what I've heard about. The reshoots, the third act, and what was kind of speculated as what should have been the final bunch of scenes. From what I understand, that whole going back to Planet Zero was not supposed to be the end of the movie. And that was all done in reshoots. The end of the movie was a smaller, quieter um, showdown with Doom as he's walking around the compound blowing people's heads up. And you can tell that, Matt referenced it a little bit earlier, there are a few scenes that were in the trailer that were left out. Um, There's a couple scenes with Johnny Storm and Sue Storm in the hallways mm-hmm. that I don't think were included, as well as the thing dropping down. But From, Yeah, and that would have been him going to the compound, or going to the Going base. to the compound and maybe joining the fight. Right. right. Um, from what I understand, that was supposed to be the end scene where they're facing off against Doom as he's walking around that compound, Jason Voorhees style, blowing people's heads up and murdering people, and kind of being really a terrifying movie monster walking in these dark, hardly lit hallways. And I think that would have been way more effective. At some point, somebody came in and was like, we need the fucking Avengers, so let's send them back to the planet and have this really cliched right. end scene battle right. which was really unfulfilling it was like another yet another oh my goodness the earth is at stake gotta have the highest of stakes and like wouldn't it have been cooler if it would have just been like we gotta try to save some of these people in this compound we gotta battle this dude before he gets after out. after mulling on it for a couple couple of days what I really wanted was Victor to be with them the entire time so that the bad guy in the first movie is the US government and the main liaison to Franklin Storm who is a bad guy from the very beginning so that you get an entire movie of Doom with them and he's working in the Baxter facility with them he's their friends, he's been through Going to the going to Planet Zero and back again with them. You know, maybe he's not Doom yet, but he has. By going over there and touching that pool of green liquid, he gets the beginnings of some kind of powers that aren't fully developed yet. But when they come back, like they need to, they need to become independent from the greater government that has been holding them down this entire movie. And maybe that results in mole man or something at the end but then by the second movie then you have time like you've spent this entire movie developing these friendships that way when he goes bad at the end it has so much more impact because i think toby kebble as victor was really good and all the stuff that you all the brief stuff that you got to see with victor and reed and sue and even though they just briefly touched on all of it all the actors played it really well, and you got the sense that if they were able to flesh out these scenes, 
they would have been done really well, but they didn't. They were like, oh, cut it quick. We only have an hour and 40 minutes to do this. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering where all those cuts were um, and, and what that movie would have if, looked like if you just take that weird third act on the planet there out was, of there. If there was ever a movie that I wanted to see a director's cut for, I would watch it in a heartbeat. I really would. I Because, you know, I feel like the things that were working in that movie, you could maybe attribute to Josh Trank's involvement, you know, like as a director. I mean, clearly the guy puts good talent in movies. I mean, did you guys see Chronicle? I forget. Yeah, I didn't see Chronicle. Chronicle's a well-acted movie. It's a well-made movie. It's entertaining and enjoyable. It's got kind of an edge and a darkness to it. Um, and it even makes... Um, Oh, what's the main character's name? Andrew, who plays him. He was uh, Norman Osborn, Harry Osborn. Dane DeHaan. Dane DeHaan. Dane DeHaan's not a very good actor based on The Amazing Spider-Man 2. But based on Chronicle, he is a pretty good actor. Like, maybe Josh Trank could get that, you know, get these really good performances. You know, I'm not a big K. Mara fan, but a lot of that has to do with the way that she seems like she hates being in a superhero movie. Uh, in all the press that I've seen her do. I think the problem with Kate Mara is that she was miscast. I think that everybody else seemed like they were on point. Kate Mara is a good actress, but she doesn't play warm and fuzzy or even likable very well. Kate Mara is most successful when she is cunning and she has a end to her own goal. She's out for herself. She's her own woman, well, and that's not what Sue Storm is. She's like the mother of the Marvel the universe. Vein, Reg Cathy, who plays Franklin, is not warm and fuzzy. No. They needed Stellan Skarsgård to play Franklin Storm because the guy that played Franklin is—he's—he's he's evil. I mean, you just look at his face and you're like, this guy's a bad guy. I didn't get any warm feelings for Johnny or Sue or anything from this guy. Like, he just looks like he should be playing a bad guy. Franklin Storm so was supposed the to bass be... The in the theater was just rumbling every time he spoke. Like, it was just... Like, him and... Like, he was the big problem casting that I had. He was supposed to be the overseer, the Professor X of that group of people. I never got a sense that he was caring for them. Even his kids, really. He just kind of scolded who, them, and that's about it. Who wrote this movie? Was It, it wasn't just Trank, was it? It was uh, Simon Kinberg. Who Josh is Trank. like the overseer of all the Fox properties. Right, and I think he's also involved in some capacity with the new Star Wars films. Jeremy Slater, Simon Kinberg, and three more credits. Now, there's one of the things that kind of baffled me was Johnny Storm, his involvement in getting, getting involved with the project to help the teleportion, teleportation device that Reed is working on. First of all, I never knew Johnny Storm to be, like, intelligent like that. But and that's okay if you change that, but... Well, this is, this is a problem. This is a core problem with the Fantastic Four. Because when you get after the cosmic... Even going back to the Kirby, Lee Kirby stuff, when you get them after the cosmic stuff... 
Johnny is a fun, hothead goofball and Ben's a big, strong dummy. And why the fuck would you have these idiots going into space in the first place? Which is why... You get it with Sue and Reed because they're smart, boring scientists. Which is why this version makes more sense to include them all in some kind of level to make them all sort of scientists. It made more sense in Bendis and Millar's Ultimates where Reed is having his big unveiling of the big teleportation device and Ben, his childhood friend, comes to watch and the whole thing goes to shit. And Ben gets Ben's, you know, cannon fodder. I don't mind the way that they did Ben or Johnny in this. More so Ben because it seems like he was like, oh, okay, I can do some of these things. I'm mechanical. I can help out in some way. Johnny, they never really, he just can make hot rods and that's about it. And they don't even but really go into that. Because wasn't there a scene from the trailer? Where he's working on a car, but see, it's not in the See, movie. I thought in, in the movie you get a better idea of why Johnny's there. Because Johnny is a good engineer. Right. And he right, can do right. that stuff. No, All we know about Ben is he carries heavy shit for Reed. Yeah. Um, so, it. I, I thought that it was kind of funny that... Uh, so Johnny wrecks his car... Right. And his dad's like, I'm not going to let you drive your car anymore. Or what fix was the your music car that was playing I, during the car race? I forget, but it, it didn't apply well, no, it at didn't. all. <laughs> I, what was the song? Uh, I don't shit. remember. It was like some 70s funk track. Yeah, it, and but it, was it had real slow. nothing to do And that, with that's that what scene. I talked to you. That's where I, got to, I had yeah. to pipe up, and I was like, this doesn't feel very appropriate for this scene. <laughs> Yeah, um, if you're street racing, it's new metal or nothing. Um, so, but I, I found it really odd that the car that, that Johnny wrecked looked like it cost about $1,000. It right? was a piece of shit. Right, and and yet he feels like he has to go work for his dad for however many months it was to get... A teleportation device up and running, right? I can't imagine that was done in a weekend. And so it was got, like his dad came and like, "You're going to cut grass for the right. summer." And it didn't. And that goes against like the fact that these characters look like they're thirty, and yet they're playing eighteen. They're playing teenagers. It was that a big problem work. for you? I, this is the first I'm hearing of this problem. Well, yeah, it's a major problem because. You don't look at them and think... You have to remind yourself of the context of the movie because instinctually you're not buying that they're the age that they are. And that affects the story because, oh, he's only 18. He doesn't have the money to go out and buy a new piece of shit Toyota. Do you know what I mean? I I get what you're saying. Just the fact that that would be the driving force for him to join this team Mm -hmm. is so flimsy that I was like, I I don't buy this at all. This is a stupid reason to get him on the team. Overall, the way I would sum this movie up is um, that the parts are greater than the sum, right? So normally it's something's greater than the parts or whatever. it, It... it had some good ideas, and it had some well-executed ideas, but there were also some really bad ideas and potentially even wor- like worse-executed ideas. It, it was so pockmarked and, and just 
flawed. It was flawed everywhere. Everywhere you looked, there were some flaws, and then it just got, like, really bad at the end. Yeah. I mean, the uh, running joke that they're talking about is that you can tell the reshoots by the bad wig that Kate Mara has in certain, like, different scenes, and that's how you can determine where they went back and they reshot things. Horrible. Why couldn't we get the invisible woman to ever be invisible? She was only invisible when she first showed up. And that was another thing I didn't really care for. Uh, That's not a hard effect, either. (laughs) Right, just don't put her there. Um, (laughs) So... You don't even need to do reshoots for that one. Yeah, Kate, we're not even going to need you. So, um... I felt like the fact that they had to have these suits on to control their powers was kind of dumb. Like, I, I felt it was very limiting. It's almost like, so wait, uh, Sue Storm is always invisible if she's not wearing that, that outfit, or Johnny Storm is always on fire if he's not wearing that suit. Like, it just felt kind of And Reed kind of had to cobble his own together. Yeah. Yeah, I... I didn't agree with that either. Even whenever we were leaving the theater, I was like, why did Johnny have to like touch his wrist all the time? But he didn't in the one scene. He didn't in one scene where he had to, uh, when Doom first showed up and he sits up on the, on the table and he's like, oh shit. And he just flamed on because it's too, he was kind of propping himself with his hands behind his uh, back a little bit as he was sitting up. Um, I don't know. So, final thoughts, Paul. Are we are we gonna get a, a sequel? No, I can't imagine we would. Um, a lot of a lot of what Josh Trank said on Fat Man on Batman makes me kind of bummed out that this didn't go so well because I get the feeling that he and Simon Kinberg had an idea of where they wanted to go with this. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the things that we've mentioned we're not seeing, maybe we would have seen going forward. Like, maybe by the time we get to the second movie, they don't need these suits because they have mastered their powers. And the suits do look a little more like the traditional Fantastic Four suits. But now, like, we're not going to get to see it because that end was so bad. And what will forever stick with me from this movie was the last climactic battle and Sue says something like Victor don't do this and he says there is no Victor only Zool that's right <laughs> <laughs> he actually says there is no Victor only Doom and as soon but as but you he, can't hear as that as soon as it's he started that Zool. sentence yeah. I was like oh fuck I think did we both laugh at that moment yeah it was just fucking silly and then at the very end there they go to this, this they go to Central City the government's new installation for them or whatever and they're talking about how you know they get this place and Reed's like well we should have a name Reed says something like we should have a name and immediately I was like don't do it just don't say it and they try to cleverly get to Fantastic Four yeah I, I actually thought they did a pretty good job of working that in I'm glad they within didn't, the context of that I'm sequence. glad they didn't say it they, right. they cut the credits and I that was I was. <laughs> Didn't Avengers do something that. like that, 
this summer when they yes. go to assemble the new Avengers. Steve Rogers goes to say Avengers, and then they cut. This movie started so dark. And it was going down a similar path the entire way. And it was, like, it was good. Like, the first, yeah, not a lot of, some things could have been more developed through the first half. Like, the friendships and who these people are and the family But as a movie, we were all still entertained and and engaged. Right, exactly. Like, through the first half... I was in. Even when Doom gets up and he's blowing people's heads up through the hall, through the new hallways. That might be the best part of that movie. It was the best part. It was the best part. It was terrifying, and I was like, oh my god, I can't believe they're doing this. I know. It it did not feel PG-13 at that point. Because you look at... I mean, we're used to fucking dummies like Darren Cross and Ronan and Whiplash and villains that have absolutely no consequence whatsoever and then you get this fucking horror movie guy sit up and he's exploding heads like viciously i mean you just see the blood splatter up the wall when it happens and it was graphic and it was terrifying and i'm like oh jesus I'm like this is they kind of just kind of kicked into gear here for a movie that they edited as heavily as they did i'm surprised that they did they kept that all in there but then the final battle is just so PG and there's so many hero shots where the, the four Fantastic Four land and you know the camera's looking up at them and they're puffed up chests and there's yeah. beautiful stuff behind them and we're the Fantastic Four we can beat this guy I was like oh fuck just so many cringeworthy moments at the end and it started pretty good it had a lot of promise it was really winning me over going forward and um, as much as I don't want to like Josh Trank for immediately throwing the studio under the bus. It's fucked up. It's classless. I don't like him for that. But maybe he has a point with that tweet about he, he, he has a good a thing going that the studio There's, There is a, I think, a documentary just dying to be made about the creation of this movie and Josh Trank because I am absolutely fascinated with it. He... While he was making this movie, he managed to get fired from being lucky enough to be chosen to work on one of the Star Wars spin-off movies. How cool is that? Like, that's got to be a dream come true. And, and we've heard Josh Trank. We've all heard him in an interview with Kevin Smith, a very candid interview. There is no way that guy decided on his own accord to leave that movie. He's a fanboy. He... Like, he connects with this kind of material. He, he gets it, I which, think. Which is surprising that some of the early stuff that came out about Fantastic Four was, oh, don't, you know, you know I don't want you to read the comic books. Right. He clearly has love for those I think he is a younger guy, so maybe he doesn't have the reverence for the original stuff that maybe some older fans might have. But it sounded like he, he wouldn't be a person to say, don't read any of that right, nonsense. Right, right, right. He would tell people, well, he, I go did back and check say, out some of the the. Uh, I did hear him say stuff. that he likes the, the ultimate Fantastic Four, and that's kind of where a lot of his inspiration came from. And that makes sense. Um, and, you know, like... I think he's got some good ideas and I feel like I feel bad that that his first big budget movie was kind of a disaster because I feel like it could have been good. 
in spite of my attitude going in, uh, I'm not happy that this was a bad movie. Um, I took a lot of pleasure in ripping apart Age of Ultron because there was a lot of pomp and circumstance that came with that movie and it was fucking garbage. But this one was the underdog from day one. And I really wanted it to I thought it had a chance so to it be bums different. Me out. It, bum- yeah, it, it bums me out that the the ending was as bad as it yeah, was. See, I'm kind because of like, it was as bad as you could imagine. Right. I'm kind of like the Russian audience and the Russian crowd in Rocky Four, And I was booing for it initially, but it won me over. Only difference is this movie lost and was a total failure and Rocky ended up winning. <laughs> if I can change, you can change, we I all can change. You know what's so great about Rocky? Rocky single-handedly ended the Cold War with that speech. That's pretty amazing. I never thought he had it in him. but It was like the next week that the wall came down. So, um, let, I think a good way to wrap up this episode is we'll do some some final grades uh, for this movie. Uh, if we can recall our polynomics scores before we do that, uh, I know that I gave this, um, uh, I think, maybe a zero, maybe a zero. zero for excitement and, a, and maybe a one for expectation. Um, I'll, I'll give you my final grade. My final grade is a four. Um, that goes along with the Fantastic Four, because five is pretty average, and this was definitely below average. I want to give it better than that, but it was bad, and so bad in some parts that you just can't. You can't. There's maybe the director's cut will be a lot better. In fact, I think it will be a lot better. Even Do you think we're going to see that? No, I don't. After no. Josh Trank publicly threw Sony under the bus, do you think they're going to let him was put a director's cut? Yeah, no, I don't think that this movie's coming out on Blu-ray or DVD. It's never just coming gonna out. For, nope, it never they're happened. just going to forget that it happened. You can probably... It's catch, out of theaters. It's right. already you can probably theaters. catch it on a red box this weekend. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'd have to give it a final grade of four. I think it's very symbolic and, um, and justified. Paul, what kind of polynomics did you give it? Do you remember... Uh, I think I was I was probably pushing the four or five range, but I gotta give it a three. Really, the end was so bad. It was so cheesy. It was so corny. Like it like I was uncomfortable watching some of it because it was so. And only the final the final battle up until but it was so bad. Yeah. That it overshadowed all the good stuff that had happened. In the first half, and Miles Teller was brilliant. He was so fucking good. But the, even he was shitty in that last battle. The things he everyone, was saying, everybody was. I know. But the, when he's when he's strapped to the chair and he's all stretched out, and he hears Ben calling for him, and he wants to go to him, and then he's climbing through the ducks, and he the, when he's talking to Ben, like the the pathos that he gets across is so real. It's so genuine. That you believe that this stretchy guy is strapped to this table. Like, Miles Teller hooked it up. I think Jamie Bell hooked it up, too. And all the scenes before he became the thing. Even some of the stuff when he was the thing. When he captured Reed, they're traveling back in the plane. He's talking to Reed, and Reed's like, oh, I'm sorry. And he's he's like, look at me. Just look at me. 
I thought that that scene had some really nice weight to it. The only problem was, especially before he became the thing, he had a really hard time dropping the accent. It, it was, was coming like through constantly. Irish, uh, New York, <laughs> hybrid. Yeah, yeah, it was there constantly. I was like, that must be all they talk about <laughs> in Oyster Bay. <laughs> yeah, like I, I, I thought it was acted well. I thought Kate Mara was a stone cold bitch, like she always is. She was just Michael miscast. B. Jordan was great. He just had nothing to do. He had seven scenes in the movie. He was Toby, there a little bit. Toby Kebbell was. I thought he was great. Is Doom when he was shaggy hair bearded rebel Doom and when he got his shit together to come back to the Baxter building. Like, I thought all the interplay between those guys when we got to see them was acted really well. It was just everything that followed was just a fucking mess. I'd like to say, in defense of the rumors that Doom was going to be a blogger, that turned out to be completely false. Dude just had no. some TVs. No, no. I think that there's some validity there. That they that they might have cut some yeah, of that. Yeah, because there is a sequence too where they where they talk about how he tried to burn down this building and he was basically a criminal. Never he, touched he, on that's it. Not he destroyed the servers. Destroyed the servers. Which is there's a backstory there. No well I think there's a story is that, it listen this, Okay. There, there's a story there that they that they hint at, but then they never revisit. Let me put this into context no, for you. But Let, you're right. Uh, they should have said blog. Uh, they oh, should have said hacker, not blogger. Let me put this into context for you. You know the movie Mallrats. Remember when they mentioned if this is anything like your your problem at the governor's ball or whatever, then you're going to be posting cable access or whatever he says. The Governor's Ball was a big sequence in the beginning of Mallrats, like 15, 20 minutes that was cut out of the movie. But, like, it was mentioned, so you know there's some kind of story to it, but it was edited in a way that you can just get away with mentioning it and move on. Same thing. Yeah, I don't think he was... I, don't, I think I he don't was know, misrepresented. I don't know why they said blogger in those initial press things. They should have just said hacker. Computer guy. Hackers. Because fine. that makes a lot more sense than I'm going to write scathing things about you to my slight audience on my so blogger Ian, site. Yeah, that, that, yeah that, it felt well, like, it was like, oh, so he does like webcomics so and stuff. So he's a fucking troll. Do you have a final score for I, the Fantastic Four? I, I do. I believe that my. I, I was a little more positive than I think both of you were. I think I might have had a six somewhere around there. Mm -hmm. I, I'm i going to have to give this a four as well because there... Point swing. Because there was... Point movie swing. Yeah. Because there was a lot of good. I would give it a three if there wasn't so much good in that film. If there wasn't promise of something that I would have really been interested in and something that would have been a good movie. But that final act really kills it. The Frankenstein nature of how they edited this whole thing was just a mess. It's it, You said it before, Matt. I've never seen a film where so much of the trailer and so much of the reason to, to drive the audience to the theater was missing yeah. to the point where I'm sitting in the theater and the all the Doctor Doom, Planet Zero Madness is all over 
And I'm like, well, okay, geez, we still probably have about 10 to 15 more minutes because we have to drop the thing out of the airplane yet. We have to have that whole thing. And that never happened. I was like, wow, there's a lot that is missing and left on the cutting room floor. So I would give it a four just because it looked like the seeds of a good movie were in this film. There were good actors that did have some good performances throughout, um, even if that final portion was just really bad. The thing that I've been thinking about all day long, is this the worst comic book movie of all time? No, 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 no. Batman and Robbins. How Batman, about Catwoman? Let's, let's do let's do modern. Let's let's start from Spider Man. Yeah, let's start from Spider Man. Is is it in that era the worst? Isn't Ghost Rider: Spirit of Vengeance the worst? I think so. Is Daredevil Green Green Lantern that? is probably in there as Green well. Daredevil's in there. What's in there? Daredevil's in there. Daredevil's worse than this was, in my opinion. I don't know. I don't think. I don't think so. Remember that fight on the planet? I remember that fight. I remember okay. that fight. <laughs> Um, one of the big crimes of this movie was once they skipped to a year later it was just straight up boring nothing was happening it was it didn't go anywhere it was just fucking what, what boring makes, what makes this movie simultaneously better than the worst movies since Spider-Man and worse is that the first half gave us hope like Daredevil I mean Spirit of Vengeance, they were bad from start to finish. I and throw... It's better the same with Green Lantern. There was enough in Green Lantern that was like, you could have really done something with this. So does the disappointment that they didn't make it worse? Or do we count the good things for it? I think I went in... Like, there are things... Jeez, I don't know. More of the rumors circulating this movie had me worried... Than the things that I was seeing in the Doing trailers. Doing podcast with Matt Casal had us worried. Uh, I mean, that first trailer, man. I think that first trailer really turned me around. And I was like, ah, oh, if this might be some some creepy, you know, weird sci-fi horror film, and we got a little bit of that. That was in there. It just wasn't. It needed the way that it ended. Right, it needed to be a lot more of that. Yeah. Um, my final thought on the movie is the that reads. Um, grade school science teacher was the dumbest piece of shit on the planet like yelling at reed and failing him for being a genius like over and over again which was weird because wasn't he his teacher like when he was 10 and then when he was graduating wasn't he still his science teacher still fucking with him to me that felt like and especially since we all listened to the josh trank interviews and heard about how his high school was and how he kind of only focused on one thing and all his teachers gave him shit about everything else it felt like that was he was making a point ah, there. Okay. he was saying you can be anything you want don't listen to these fucking teachers they don't know shit you can make the Fantastic Four movie too and that's it, it felt like oh wow that's so, pretty meta yeah, Josh I don't, I don't think that worked no for the movie it at, didn't at all. Um, like, so you, you he to, was making you a point to, you need to separate yourself um, from that because like if, if it was sort of being played for comedic effect 
but it didn't work because he was just a fucking horrible person just yeah. like just constantly beating this kid down because Reed was clearly a fucking genius right. Reed was clearly able to do this why shit. is he still in that school right at that point I don't know like even in even, even in the Ultimates doesn't he get pulled out way earlier than like late high school I don't remember no you're right but that didn't bother me that much um but so here here's one final question is Josh Trank going to be working again in Hollywood? I think that Josh Trank should do his own thing right now. He should he should go to a small studio. He should make a film that he wants to make that he's really passionate about for a small amount of money, Chronicle style, mm-hmm. and bang that out. And I think it'll be good if he has... And show people that he can do it and then maybe get hired. Because I think he clearly can do it, but he's going to have to have a rebound movie yeah. that's all, like some kind of sort of independent thing. Nobody's giving him the reins to anything big until he proves himself again. I've been on a roller coaster with Josh Trank because I was like, oh, Chronicle, this is great. And then I listened to the first couple... Batman on Batmans, and then I'm like, oh, he's fucking Silver Spoon Kid. He's had, you know, everything he's fucking wanted from a young age. And then I'm like, oh, he's fighting the uphill battle. You know, he's the underdog, Fantastic Four. And then he throws the studio publicly under the bus. So, like, at this point, I kind of feel like Josh Trank is just kind of a fucking asshole. Like, no fucking humility, no modesty. With this guy, like, if you think you're so entitled after making Chronicle and getting a shot at Fantastic Four, and I, I don't give a shit if Sony is the big corporate machine. No one likes the or big Fox. corporate enemy. Or Fox. I don't know why I keep saying Sony. I don't care if Sony's the big fucking... Uh, Fox. I don't care if Fox is the big machine. Like, you don't, you don't fucking do that. Like, you have to bow to care. their will at some point. I don't care if you grew up in Hollywood. You went to Beverly Hills. All you did was make movies. Your dad won a fucking Oscar. Show some humility. Be like, you know what? Maybe things didn't go the way I wanted. You know, we did the best we could. Don't be fucking petulant and say, I would have made this better if they didn't interfere with me. You know, fuck you. You're... The trailer for your next movie better fucking blow my nuts because I'm not going to see it. And I'm not listening to The Last Fat Man either because this dude has lost all goodwill with me. That's fucking shady. It seems like you became even more incensed towards him as you were just giving that dissertation. He talked himself into hating. Yeah, like at first you were like, yeah, you know, I think he's kind of a jerk. But by the end of your, your rant, you're like, he is a... He's the devil himself. He better come to the back row of the theater and blow me, and, so that uh, I go to his and, next you know, movie. I'm, I'm sure that's I'm sure that's just my perspective of, you know, coming from coming from nothing and not getting a chance to direct the Fantastic Four. But like he's did they ask you? He's been in this. He's been in the Hollywood system. He's been around this all his life. True. Like he should know how to navigate these waters and not be a fucking prick. Well, it was just bad form. That's all it was. It was just spoiled brat. And he might, I, from what I hear, yeah, there might be some legal action taken against him. You can't badmouth your movie like that and not expect Fox or Sony to come 
after you for that. I don't know why I keep saying Sony. I know who it is. <laughs> because that Fantastic Four X-Men crossover is never going to happen, though. No. They ought to just give the little reins over to Brian Singer at this point. Well, do you think that maybe... Do you think Marvel might make a deal with them... Spider-Man I I think it's a safe bet that Marvel's getting Fantastic Four back and that's the silver lining in this whole scenario because I feel like while I I like some of the potential that Josh Trank brought to the table with the Fantastic Four a lot of it wasn't realized and I'm not sure it ever would be but we'll never know because they're not going to make another movie of the Fantastic Four at Fox Fox um I I expect it to go to Marvel, and hopefully it'll go to Marvel in short enough order for them to include them in the Infinity War in some capacity. Particularly, the 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 the, um, the real get out of the deal is the Silver Surfer. That's who you really want. That's who you See, need. Yeah. For the a couple Infinity articles War. I read today um, said that Marvel's relationship with Fox isn't nearly as good as it is with Sony. Like, it's volatile yeah. with Fox. But So Fox will Fox is going to do whatever it can to not revert those licenses back. Like, I don't think maybe, we're going to see a, a Marvel made But Fox Fantastic just lost Four. $70 million on the Fantastic Four. From what I understand, it is volatile like you described. But Fox also still has something to gain from this. They still have the X-Men stuff, and they want to make... X-Men TV, you know, a couple TV shows based around the X-Men characters, but they can't because they don't have the rights for the TV characters. Marvel can grant them that. It can be maybe a trade. They can also maybe, Marvel can um, ease up on the restrictions on the merchandise from the films. You can have toys, and and that's a big chunk of the revenue stream. And if there's a trade that can be made, to move Fantastic Four over to Marvel while Marvel relinquishes some of the restrictions on the X-Men stuff, I think that that could possibly happen. For me, I don't necessarily want to see another Fantastic Four movie in the current Marvel Universe. If they're going to do it, make it in the 60s. Make it like the original comic books. Um, Make it involved in the space race. Have it maybe tie into some Agent Carter stuff or some early S.H.I.E.L.D. things. You can bring in the Silver Surfer as a a character in that universe. And then he can also move into the Infinity War. You can have... You can have it where he goes away at the end and he doesn't come back until... Until the Infinity War. Something like that. That's the real shame about this. Is that all the characters that are involved in the Fantastic Four that are tied together. Galactus is another one those can't be part of all the fun Marvel space stuff. So, I don't know, hopefully, maybe there is a silver lining with how shitty this movie was. Maybe we can get some good Fantastic Four out of it. That's what the fans want. Is it? Uh, yeah. What What fan do you know that's like, fuck that, I really hope Fox gets to keep the Fantastic Four because they're really making incredible Fantastic Four movies. Well, I get the sense that most fans are like, eh, whatever. We've got this other stuff that Marvel's doing. That's fine. We don't need a Fantastic Four. But, 
theatrical film. We don't, but we need at all. we need the characters. I want to see Silver Surfer in the Marvel Universe. That would be awesome. I want to see Galactus. My understanding is pretty much fans want Marvel to have all their shit. Spider-Man, the X-Men, the Fantastic Four, and everything else that they have. Um, the Fantastic Four is just one of many that that they want. They want to see the Marvel take on it. And to me, it feels like with Marvel's cinematic style, the Fantastic Four fits in better than anything, in my opinion. Because with their comedic roots, <laughs> they can make Reed's stretchy power work in a fun comedic effect, other than like trying to make it real serious and then, oh, this has got stretches, this is really weird. So that's going to do it for tonight. We had a good long talk about Fantastic Four. I don't think any of us feels really good about it. Do we feel good about hammering the Fantastic Four tonight? No. I don't think that we did anything that all the other podcasters didn't do as well this weekend. I listened to iFanboy yesterday, and I felt like they really enjoyed Smashing it. I listened to that as well. Those are the people that really wanted to go to Marvel. But like I, I, I really wanted this to be good. I was hoping it was gonna be the underdog going in. And I don't feel good about hammering it, but it was fucking bad. <laughs> so uh, that's gonna do it for tonight. My name is Paul McGinty. Ian Sharpley. Matt Cassell. We'll see you next time.